you would stand with me, we're going to read together from God's Word as we submit our lives to what He has said. You'll find the text on the screen, but also in your notes. Let's read together. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, and above all, that you may prophesy. For the person who speaks in another language is not speaking to men, but to God, since no one understands him. However, he speaks mysteries in the Spirit, but the person who prophesies speaks to people for edification, encouragement, and consolation. The person who speaks in another language builds himself up, but he who prophesies builds up the church. I wish all of you spoke in other languages, but even more that you prophesied. The person who prophesies is greater than the, one, the person who speaks in languages, unless he interprets so that the church may be built up. This is the Word of God. You may be seated. So what is supposed to happen when people like us get together in what we call church? What's supposed to happen when followers of Jesus and people who are checking out Christianity, what's supposed to happen when we gather together in one room? Well, this is the question that the Apostle Paul is helping to this church from Corinth answer many, many years ago. And as he gives them guidance, it is helping us to think about what's supposed to happen for us when we gather If you've been with us over these past several weeks and even months, uh, we've just been walking through this letter that a man named Paul wrote to a church in a city called Corinth, but that what we believe is that God, who was speaking to them then, is speaking to us now. And so we've been studying this. The last couple of weeks, we looked at 1 Corinthians 13, where the Apostle Paul talked about love, its nature, its permanence. And if you remember, that section interrupted a broader conversation that he was having with his church about what was supposed to happen when the church comes together. And now he gets laser focused. He's about to move on to another section, but over the next few weeks, we're going we're gonna to see him focus in on some key items, some key aspects of what's supposed to happen when a church gets together in the name of Jesus and says, Jesus, what is our life supposed to be like? So today we're going to look at this first aspect of what's supposed to happen when people who follow Jesus gather, and that is that we are to be built up. We are to be built up. And let me show you, as we look through these verses this morning, how that is supposed to happen. Uh, you'll, you'll see the connection that the, uh, the writer here, Paul, makes with what's come before when he lays out a very strong verb. He says in verse 14, verse 1, that we, when we come together, are to pursue love. This is how we build up one another. The first way we do this is to pursue love. Now, that word uh, pursue in English can mean a lot of different kind of things. Uh, Some of you are uh, pursuing a career, 
Some of you are pursuing a relationship with uh, somebody of the opposite sex. Uh, some of you are pursuing a nap later on this afternoon, and I totally get that. We, we use this word pursue to refer to a wide variety of realities, but the, uh, the word that this is pointing to in Greek has, uh, has one of those pictures behind it that can be so helpful for us to understand the, the weight of what uh, he is calling us to. This word pursue is the word that would be used to describe what a hunter does to his prey. Now, I'm not much of a hunter. I must admit that. Uh, I actually have only hunted birds on occasion and not very good at that either. Many of them get away just fine when I try to, uh, to hunt them. Uh, but I understand that, uh, that real hunters, they, uh, they get the necessity that if they're going to pursue their prey, they must be intentional consistent, and perhaps most importantly, persistent. They must stay at it. Now, growing up, my family didn't hunt, but we fished. And so I, I think I've got a, a, an image of this in my head, and maybe this will help you to, to gather an image of what it means to pursue love. Uh, uh, my dad loves to fish, still does, and goes all the time whenever he can. I remember as a kid, him taking us to go fishing down in Galveston, where my grandparents lived, and he would set us up with, his fishing, with our fishing poles. He'd put the, the shrimp on the, uh, the hook for us, and we would cast it out, and then he would go and get his uh, pole ready, and before he could actually get it out in the water, one of us had lost our bait or uh, had gotten snagged on something. He had to put his pole down, and he had to come back over and help us, and this would go on. Now, as a dad, I start to appreciate uh, my dad didn't actually get to do much fishing at all. Uh, mostly, he was just taking care of us. But I do remember this about my dad when we went fishing. Uh, we would cast out there, and we could catch nothing. And in about five minutes, myself and my brothers, we were done. We were bored and looking for uh, something else to do. But my dad could sit out there for hours and not catch anything. He, he just knew that the only way to catch fish was to stay out there with a line in the water, and he was willing to be persistent in that pursuit. So as I look back at the fish that my dad has caught and his big trophy fishes that he will show his pictures of, and I show my big trophy fishes that are more like this and not very exciting, I get to see what the fruit of persistent provides. My dad has great stories about catching big fish, but not every time. He's understood that for him to be a successful fisherman, he must be persistent at this task. Now, that picture helps us, I think, to understand what it is that God is calling us to when we come together. This first instruction here that we are to pursue love is that we, as a church, when we come together, we are to come with the expectation that we have to work at loving one another. I know for some of you that's not a bursting your bubble. You know that it's work to love e each other. Think about this in the context of marriage. Uh, those of you who've been married for a long time, you, you know that, that marriage takes work. In that early season of marriage, your relationship will be uh, focused uh, on one another, and you get to the excitement of that, uh, uh, discovering a new relationship, a new life together. But as you move into the next season of marriage, oftentimes the, the couple will begin to be focused on career or on family. And the, the attention, rather than being focused towards one another, usually gets focused outwards. And this can be a, a difficult time for a lot of marriages. This can be a, a tenuous time because the, the strength of relationship gets tested. 
And every couple will have to come to a moment where they decide, will we pursue love? Will we pursue this relationship with patience and kindness and forgiveness? Will we turn back to focusing on one another when all the other distractions are out there? Or will we walk away? Now that picture gives us an example of the kind of relationship that's supposed to typify the people of God when we come together. We're to pursue love with one another. It's not enough for us to have a series on love and to learn some new things about what love looks like and then to walk away and think, well, we've got that covered. Let's move on to the next thing. No. Every time we gather together, it is an opportunity for us to pursue a life of love in our relationships with each other. Our families give us an immediate context for this, but God has designed us to be a people in a community, and our community is supposed to be typified by this kind of pursuit, pursuing love. Now, you might ask, why? Well, it's important to understand that anytime when we see a command like this, a command that seems almost impossible, how is it possible that, that we could continue to pursue love in the ways that, that the Bible describes, a patient, forgiving, a kind, gentle love? How is it possible that we could do that? Why would such a high bar be set upon us? Well, you need to remember where this pursuing love comes from. It comes from the very nature of God himself. You, you remember, don't you, in Genesis chapter 3, in the very beginning, when God has set up creation to be in a perfectly ordered place, and he has created Adam and Eve and given them all that they need, and he only provides one rule for them. Don't eat from the fruit of one tree. And what do Adam and Eve do? Well, they don't trust him, and they disobey, and they, they hide themselves. In Genesis 3, it says they, they hide in the bushes because they're afraid. They realize that they're naked. But do you remember what God does? In Genesis 3, it says that God walks among the garden, and he calls out, and he says, Adam, where are you? Now, clearly, this, uh, this invisible, immortal God, he knew where Adam and Eve were hiding. But what he was revealing was the nature of pursuing love. Even when love has been rejected and spurned, as Adam had rejected and spurned God's love, God pursued him, and his question invited him back in. Look at the life of Abraham. If we fast forward to the book of Genesis and you see uh, this man who's a pagan growing up worshiping idols and uh, off in a foreign land and, and God speaks to him. And in his question, God invites this man, Abraham, to a new kind of trust relationship with him. He says, Abraham, go to a land that I will show you. Leave everything behind and go to this new land and I will be with you. There was an invitation for Abraham to learn this new kind of trust relationship with God. God was pursuing a restoration of trust and of love between God and humanity. 
And God would then, as you continue the story throughout God's word, he would establish a whole people, a whole community, the people of Israel, who were to be his people. And yet over and over again, they would reject him and they would worship idols and they would go to the nations to provide protection and support instead of turning to him. This is the story of the Old Testament that plays out over and over again. And in fact, if we get to the the prophet Hosea, do you know what picture is used to describe the, the people and their relationship with God? Hosea describes the people of Israel as a, as a prostitute. Who, the one who should have been the bride of God has, has gone and has made herself a prostitute. And what does God do? Well, in the story of Hosea, he purchases this prostitute out of prostitution cleans her, and makes her his own again. Why does our love, why is it called to pursue and to be a costly pursuit of one another? Because God's love is a costly love. It is a pursuing love. And it is seen most evidently in the person of Jesus Christ. You know, if you grew up in church as a kid, you, you know the passage from John chapter 3, verse 16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but would have everlasting life. God was willing to pursue you and me so much so that he would allow his son Jesus to be brutally murdered on a cross in your place, taking the consequence for your sin and rebellion upon himself. He pursued you so much that he would let his son die in your place for your sin so that you might know a restored trust relationship with him. He has pursued you. And so, is it any wonder that for those whom he has rescued and purchased and adopted and then formed into a new family, that he would then say to us, go pursue. Let your love be a pursuing love. And so parents, we, we are to show this kind of pursuing love in our relationship with our kids. We are to to love and to model this with them. When they are disrespectful and disobedient, it's not primarily a matter, an issue of us. It is an opportunity to correct and to discipline in the context of love so that they might learn that the way their heavenly father wants to relate to them is in a context of discipline and love. When when your children uh, run off and they say, I'm going to do my own thing, that the temptation for a parent is to, to take it personally and to feel offended and to harbor bitterness and resentment at that child, even if this child is now an adult. But the kind of love that God calls us to is a pursuing love. It, it says, son, I'm still here. The door is still open for you to come because I have forgiven you. Pursuing love decides first to forgive and then moves towards that person 
out of forgiveness. And it's that kind of love that's supposed to typify all of our relationships together. It's what's supposed to mark out church. And when it does, the people of God are built up. So what about this other language about prophecy? Now let's look at this a little more closely because I think we know the language of love. We've talked about that. But we need to explore a little bit further what it is that uh, what the Apostle Paul teaches about prophecy here. So let me just read this to you, and I want you to, to hear again what it is that he says about prophecy, because he's going to call us to desire prophecy. That will be the second way that we build up one another. So we've got to really think about what is this prophecy he's speaking about. So hear it again. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts and above all that you may prophesy. For the person who speaks in another language is not speaking to men, but to God, since no one understands him. However, he speaks mysteries in the Spirit. But the person who prophesies speaks to people for edification, encouragement, and consolation. For us to be able to understand what Paul is talking about here when he says that we're all to desire to prophesy, it is critical that we look there at verse 3 and see what effects prophecy is supposed to produce. We're used to hearing prophecy and thinking someone telling about what's going to happen in the future. That's the way that we tend to, uh, to hear that in our context. But, but look at what he says is supposed to be the effect of prophecy, and it will help us to work backwards to understand the nature of it. What is it that he is describing? He uses three different words here, translated in my translation, edification, encouragement, and consolation. And he calls all of us to desire this kind of a gift. What do these words mean? Well, the word edification... It, it comes from the Greek word oikadomen, and it means to, to construct or to, to build up. So what he's saying is prophecy, one of the things that it does is it builds up people in the same way that you might build up a tower. Now, I don't know about you, but in my house, we do lots of building with Legos, and uh, my boys can do some pretty amazing Lego structures. The ones that are most incredible are the ones that they build up and they can sit on or stand on. These things are tough. If you've uh, stepped on them in the middle of the night, you understand just how tough they, they can be. The idea, the picture is that, that when, when someone prophesies, and we'll talk about what does he mean, when he prophesies, he is to be building up the people who listen in the same way that you might reinforce a structure. The image is kind of a mechanical one. Now, let's look at the, the next word. The next word is the word periclesin. It means to call to oneself. I think about it this way. In a football game, if a, a player is injured and goes down, and one of his teammates runs over to him, picks him up, and then puts him on his shoulder, and then helps him to get off the field, that person is periclesin. That person is encouraging the other person physically. Now, what prophecy is supposed to do, or the way the Apostle Paul defines it, is it's supposed to be with our words, coming alongside of somebody, putting them up on our shoulder, and then helping them to move forward. It's, it's saying, you can, you can do this, and so do it. It means 
put your weight on that foot and let's get off the field. We're moving together. It's a call to action on the basis of this relationship. The first word is mechanical. The second word is very relational. And the last word is like it. It is paramuthion. This one means to rouse up hope. And if the first word uses the picture of like a building and the second like a relationship, this is what an, a medic does. It is a person who, who comes and finds someone injured or sick and begins to apply care so that they can have hope for healing. Now, these three words, edification, encouragement, and consolation, that's the way they're translated in the translation we've been, we've been reading. This is what we're supposed to do for one another. In fact, what Paul is saying here is what you should most desire, what you should most eagerly pursue is the gift of being the one who is able to edify, to build up people around you, to encourage, to put them on your shoulder and carry them forward, or to console, to heal, and to move. Now, the context for Paul is a church that was eagerly desiring a particular kind of gift, but not this one. They were eagerly desiring what Paul calls the, the gift of tongues or speaking in tongues. And we'll talk just a minute about what that means. But that was the, the gift they were after. It was the one that most everybody thought was, you were the most spiritual. And what Paul says here is, look, what is most important is that the church is built up. And the most effective means that we have of building up this church is by words that he describes as prophecy. It is very similar to what I'm doing right now. This is an opportunity for me to build you up. And you too, when someone around you says, I just, I don't even know what to do with this, this tragedy. Where is God? This is a person whose faith is shaky. Their foundation is, is, has been rocked. And so what is the church to do? It's to edify. The church is to rush in and say, hold on. Let's remember the mighty acts of God in the past. Remember what he has done on behalf of those who are hurting and broken. Remember what he did in his son Jesus, that even though he was dead, God raised him from the dead. And so even when you face death, you can do it with hope. This is edifying. It's building each other up when our faith starts to get weak and to fragment. This is what pursuing love looks like for the church. We build one another up. And it's, it's also encouraging. It's the, the person who says, I'm just, I'm just doubting that I even have anything uh, good to offer. I'm not even sure what it is that I could do good. Encouraging looks like coming alongside and saying, uh, 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 brother or sister, you have, you have powerful gifts of love and of mercy and of kindness and of selflessness. It is, it is calling out those aspects of that person that look like their father so that they can be called to do more of that. Encouraging, puts the arm around the other and says, no, you can keep going because of the one who has called you. 
and consoling. It's the moment where you're with someone who has just experienced the depth of loss. And sometimes words just fail. And yet in your presence, as you are with them in those moments, you are speaking the character of a God who is with us in the midst of our brokenness and tragedy. Your very presence can speak consolation. And so church, we are to do this for one another. This is the gift that Paul calls prophecy. It's using our words and our lives to speak truth and hope and grace into one another. And do you know why Paul says this is the most important gift? Because the church that does not know how to do this for one another cannot stand in the face of an enemy who seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. The church that doesn't know how to, to build one another up can't stand in a culture that seeks to tear down any aspect of faith and of the supernatural. The church that doesn't know how to encourage will not be able to stand in the face of a culture that is so, so saturated in entertainment and false views about what is good and right. This church must be able to call out what is good and virtuous in one another. And the church that doesn't know how to console in the face of loss will not be able to point people to the hope that this world desperately needs. When we do this for one another, we are speaking this gift of prophecy in the ways that the Apostle Paul describes. And all of us are to desire this, to practice it. And so here's a practical way to do it. I don't have enough of these to go around, so I'll just have to show you, and you can do it on your own. If you want to practice edification, encouragement, and consolation, then get yourself three pennies. I know some of you don't know what these are. It's little coins that we used to use for money. Uh, you can substitute it for a piece of paper if you want to. Here's what you do. You put them in your pocket, and every Sunday when you show up here, or if you know you're going to be around people, you put it in your pocket and you say, Father, help me today to use these gifts of edification, encouragement, and consolation. And you start watching and listening. And when you hear somebody whose faith is wavering or they're unsure, it's an opportunity for you to edify. And so you speak a word of edification. And you take that penny out of this pocket and you put it in the other one. And you say, thank you, Father, for answering my prayer. And then you listen for an opportunity to encourage someone who needs to be, to be strengthened in the gifts that God has given them. And when you see the opportunity to speak that truth about them, you take the penny out of your pocket and you put it in the other one. And when you see an opportunity to console, to be a medic for someone spiritually and emotionally, and you express love and compassion to them, you take the penny out of your pocket and you put the other one. But you're not done because we're supposed to do this all the time. And so you start looking for ways to move it from this pocket 
back over here. And as we discipline ourselves to have our eyes open, to see opportunities to build up one another, then we can fulfill what has been called upon for us here, that we would pursue love and desire prophecy, the gift of using our words to build up this family of faith. And Paul says here at the end that that is the priority. The person who prophesies is greater than the person who speaks in languages unless he interprets so that the church may be built up. You are God's plan to build up this church. You are God's means to speak hope into dark places. You are the one who are called to embody the presence of God for one another. And in so doing, our corporate time together, our corporate act of worship, suddenly becomes not just about each of us individually, and not even about all of us corporately. Because when we worship that way, when we focus on building up one another, then what we are doing is putting the invisible God on display for a world that is desperately looking for him. And so will you put him on display today? Let's pray. Father, help us Help us to put your love on display. Help our, our worship together to not be so myopic that it is only focused on what we're supposed to get out of this time. But Lord, would you teach us this discipline that we might look for opportunities to speak edification and encouragement and consolation. And Lord, would you build up this church such that it is strong and reflects the full nature and power and glory of your son, Jesus, who has saved us. Would you call us to him now? And would you reorient our thinking so that we might think rightly about you? We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.